You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in. Yeah. Yeah. Seven of the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. People, I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is having a great week. I hope everybody is ready for a different kind of episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. And let me explain why. You're probably sitting to yourself, Taurus, what do you mean? Different kind of episode. What does that even mean? What are you talking about? Well, here's the deal. As I kind of looked across the landscape of sports in general, college sports, a lot of what we talk about on this show, I kind of realized there really isn't a ton going on right now, right? Obviously, we will preview the weekend ahead on whatever it is on, on, uh, on Friday's show. We've already looked back at what happened on Saturday. Steve Sarkeesian went in the bed. And so what I decided to do, by the way, no, nothing really pressing in college basketball. I could do a seven-minute rant on Paulo Bancaro and his buddy, Coach K's grandson, the two kids made a really, really, really dumb mistake. It is inexcusable. You don't need me to tell you. I am glad nothing serious happened worse than what already happened to those kids. Coach K played Paulo Bancaro on Tuesday night, which I don't know that I agree with. But there's really nothing else that has happened. Obviously, on Wednesday night, look, I mean, you know, Kentucky took care of business. Duke took care of business. Purdue took care of business. So there's really nothing in college football, and there's really nothing in college basketball outside the Paulo Bancaro stuff. And so what I've decided to do, I am going to dedicate this entire episode, and it's a long one. It's a juicy one. It's a meaty one. Sounds inappropriate, but you get the point. It's a lengthy, meaty girthy episode and we're going to talk the entire episode about the college football coaching carousel because I spent a ton of time in September and October talking about all these different jobs USC LSU what's going on at Florida could Dabo Sweeney take a head coaching job somewhere besides Clemson and I really feel like probably the last two three four weeks 
I have really not spent as much time on it, which is fine. There's other stuff that's going on. But what I want to do is I kind of want to go back and kind of just get you caught up on all sorts of stuff going on in the coaching carousel. Obviously, LSU, I think we'll start to get a conclusion on that job very soon. A very interesting name has emerged at LSU. From there, we will talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about the USC job, maybe a new name there as well. We'll talk a little bit about Florida, the one school that actually appears to want to keep its head coach. And oh, by the way, we will wrap on Virginia Tech as the coaching carousel is absolutely insane with Virginia Tech becoming the 12th different school that has now had a head coaching opening. Of course, several have already filled their jobs, including UConn with the higher century with Jim Mora. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And I think today's a good day to kind of do some coaching carousel catch-up here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm not talking about Heinz 57, obviously, with a catch-up. I'm talking about catching up on the college football coaching carousel. We haven't talked about it in a while, and you guys love it. And that's the thing, and I said it last month. Last month, we talked coaching carousel seemingly every day on the Aaron Torres podcast. We talked James Franklin. We talked Mike Tomlin. We talked Coach O. We talked Lane Kiffin. And at the time, I got a little brushback from some of you saying, uh, Torres, too much coaching carousel. Break down uh, Oregon's O-line play. No, nobody said that. But the point I'm trying to make is, I said it then, and I'll say it again. This show, I don't decide what we talk about on this show. You guys do. And what I can tell you definitively is that by any tangible metric that I have, you guys loved the coaching carousel conversations last month, this month, and it is the single biggest topic that we do on this show. And I think it's time for an update because we really haven't done all that much over the last couple weeks. And so this is what I want to do. I kind of want to hit on four major coaching carousel topics, spend a few minutes on each um, because I think they're all interesting in their own right. We'll start with LSU, the biggest coaching job available. I think we're starting to get some clarification on who are realistic candidates, who are not, who one stunning candidate that appears to have some interest in that job. Then from there, we'll do a little USC, where I think there might be starting to be a little change of wins in terms of who may be interested in that job and if there's actually a new leader. We'll hit on Florida really quick with Dan Mullen. I actually think it's the opposite at Florida. I think they're doing everything they can to keep them. I don't think they really want to get into the coaching market this offseason. And then finally, we'll wrap with Virginia Tech. Latest job to open, really interesting names there, and probably a sneaky good job in terms of not only interest, but the quality of candidate they'll get and the quality of program that can be. But with that said, let's start with LSU. And we're going to start with LSU for a couple obvious reasons. Biggest job, most interest. I don't know if it's the best job. The USC versus LSU conversation has been going on for about six, seven, eight weeks now. It doesn't really matter. LSU is sexy, LSU's a big brand, LSU's a 100,000-seat stadium, LSU is a school where the last three coaches have won national championships, and LSU is the job that I think most people have the most interest in in terms of which candidates they're going to get. And I do think over the last week or so, I think we've actually quietly gotten a lot of clarification on who could be a realistic candidate, who might not be, and what it all means in the bigger picture. But what I would start by saying with at LSU is before we get to who might be interested and who might not be, there is a mega candidate that has emerged over the last two weeks or so in the LSU search. That candidate, Lincoln Riley, the head coach at Oklahoma. And this was something, and, and by the way, some people are going to say, Torres, oh my God, now you're talking Lincoln Riley. You're crazy. Okay, listen, I don't make up the headlines. I just react to them. 
And there have been, if you go on social media, if you go on Google, if you go on Twitter, if you go on YouTube, there is a lot of buzz that there may be genuine interest between both sides. And I will say on Tuesday, we sort of got the first semi-credible report from somebody in college football that this thing may be realistic. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Tom Luganbill at ESPN was doing an interview and he was asked about the situation. Tom Luganbill is on the road every week at ESPN in these stadiums, talking to these coaching staffs, talking to assistant coaches, talking to players. This isn't a guy just throwing stuff out from left field. This is a guy that is credible. This is a guy that has a voice. This is a guy whose voice carries weight. And this is what he said about the whole situation between Lincoln Riley, a name that is quickly emerging as the LSU, as a potential candidate at LSU. That's what Tom, uh, Tom Luganville said. He said, there's something going on at Oklahoma right now, and I would not be surprised one bit if the next LSU head coach is Lincoln Riley. So shout out to Tom Luganville. Aaron Torres didn't say it. This isn't my speculation. My job is to react to the biggest stories in college football, and there is nothing bigger than somebody at ESPN the worldwide leader in sports, somebody who is in these stadiums every single Saturday saying he would not be surprised at all if Lincoln Riley is the next LSU head coach. Now, some of you are probably sitting there saying, but Torres, it makes no sense. I don't care what he said. What does an opinion matter? And I will say, like, to a degree, there's something to that, right? We always talk about the quote-unquote best jobs in college football and what does it mean and which job is better than this and which job is better than that. And while LSU is no doubt one of the best jobs in college football, maybe top two or three, Oklahoma's not far behind. I don't know if they're number seven. I don't know if they're number eight. I don't know if they're number 11, but they are in the very short conversation. And it's not like he isn't having an insane amount of success at Oklahoma. Generally, when one guy leaves a good job for another, it's generally because he's either not happy or his boosters aren't happy or he's not winning. He's looking for an escape hatch. That is simply not the case with Lincoln Riley. I know he lost on Saturday. But the overall record for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma is a stunning 54-9 and in four almost five full seasons as a head coach. That includes four Big 12 titles in four seasons as the head coach. One of them he didn't win in the regular season, but he won the Big 12 title last year. Three college football playoff appearances, and there is no doubt that he is one of the bright young coaches in college football. And if he wants to stay in Link or if he wants to stay in Norman for about as long as he can, it doesn't really like 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 I don't want to say it doesn't make sense for him to leave, but there are a ton of good reasons for him to stay. And I should mention that on Tuesday he even said as much, I'm not interested, blah, 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 blah. All of these guys say that. So the question now becomes: if he's dominating in Oklahoma, why would he ever consider leaving for the LSU job? And the more that I think about it, the more that I realize I think there are really three reasons that I believe that there is something to this rumor. Not saying it's going to happen, not saying Lincoln Riley is going to be the next head coach at LSU, but there are three reasons that I kind of believe that this could at least be in play. The first one, it's the Scott Woodward effect. And I've talked about it a ton on this show, and I don't really want to spend too much more time talking about it. But as I've told you a million times, Scott Woodward, LSU's AD, is the single most aggressive AD in college sports. By the way, this is not my opinion. It's essentially a fact. If you guys listen, you think I worked for Scott Woodward's PR firm. I don't at all. But the bottom line is, this guy is a fearless AD. I've said it many times. 
He runs coaching searches the way that fans would if they were in charge. There is no name that is off limits. There is no guy that, that is too big. There is no salary that cannot be paid if it is the right uh, uh, candidate. And so you look at his track record. That's the first reason I believe Lincoln Riley is a candidate here. Because look at what he's done everywhere else. Nobody thought Jimbo Fisher was leaving Florida State for Texas A&M. Scott Woodward, who was the AD there, guess who he hired? Jimbo Fisher, when everyone said there was no way he was leaving Florida State. Before he gets to Texas A&M, you know where Scott Woodward was at? He was at the University of Washington. And for years, everybody assumed there's no way Chris Peterson ever leaves Boise State. Well, he goes to Washington. How about this past spring? Scott Woodward gets the AD job at LSU, I don't know, about a year, year and a half ago. He has a women's basketball coaching opening, and he goes and gets Kim Mulkey, three-time national championship winning coach at Baylor. And so for anybody sitting out there saying, it's preposterous, why would Lincoln Riley ever leave? It makes no sense. Did it make sense for Jimbo Fisher to leave Florida State for Texas A&M? Well, he did. Was it preposterous to think that you could get Chris Peterson from Boise? It was, and Scott Peterson, or I keep calling him Scott Peterson, Scott Woodward did. Was it crazy to think that Kim Mulkey was ever going to leave Baylor where she is literally a living legend? It was, and Scott Woodward pulled it off anyway. I don't think getting Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma is ultimately all that much more surprising and shocking than any of the three big hires that Scott Woodward has already made. On top of that, what I would also say is something that I say often on this show. Whenever a rumor is out there for as long as this one is, it's out there for a reason. Somebody wants it, okay? There's a reason that Nick Saban isn't rumored as the next LSU head coach. It's because Nick Saban doesn't want the job, and Nick Saban is going to let anybody know that that's a stupid question for even asking. There's a reason Ryan Day isn't a candidate for the job. He doesn't want it. He's happy at Ohio State. If he's leaving Ohio State, it's probably to go to the NFL. So the fact that this Lincoln Riley thing has gone on two, three, four weeks, however it's long it's been since he was first listed as a potential candidate, there is a reason that it is out there, and it's because somebody, either Lincoln Riley himself or close to Lincoln Riley, wants it out there. Maybe it's Lincoln Riley. Maybe he's frustrated this season, weird year, Spencer Rattler, this, Caleb Williams, that, can't quite figure it out. Maybe he wants it out there. Maybe his agent wants it out there. Maybe his agent's looking for a raise. Maybe his agent wants Oklahoma to pony up the dough. Maybe it's about respect. I don't know. But whether it is about respect, whether it is about just using this to get a raise from Oklahoma, whether it's to get some new thing, money for coaches, resources, facilities, whatever it is, there's a reason that this rumor is still out there. And then finally, what I would say is, let's just look at it from a football perspective, because I think from a football perspective, it makes sense. Oklahoma, as I said, it's one of the 10 best jobs in college football, and it is certainly one of, at worst, either the first or second best job in the Big 12. But what we also have to recognize, the game has changed at Oklahoma. Six, eight months ago, I think Lincoln Riley would laugh if his name was even mentioned in a, a conversation for a job like LSU. Because why would you leave LSU? You, why would you leave Oklahoma for LSU or anywhere? You have either the first or second best job in the Big 12. You have financial commitments that no one else outside of Texas in this conference has. You can pay the best for assistant coaches. You, you can recruit nationally. You can do things at Oklahoma that only Texas can do in the Big 12. And for whatever reason, Texas can't figure out how to do it right. But then everything changed in July. 
Everything changed in July when Oklahoma decided that they want to go to the SEC. Now all of a sudden, you're not in a conference where there are nine wins easy on the schedule that all you got to do is show up and don't screw up and you're going to win. That was what it was like in the Big 12. Just show up, don't mess this up, you're going to win, you're going to be fine. On top of that, what I would also say beyond that, now you're going to the SEC where you're not the best job. You're not the second best job, but you're what? If we're talking about Oklahoma realistically, what is Oklahoma? Fifth best job in the SEC? Sixth best job? Tell you what, it's not better than LSU. It's not better than Georgia. It's not better than Florida. It's not better than Bama. I don't think it's better than A&M. You could argue it's better than A&M. I don't think it's better than A&M. It's not better than Texas, even though Texas can't figure it out. So what are we talking about here? The fifth best job, the sixth best job in a conference where it is no longer a guarantee that you're going to win nine to ten games and have a, a spot in a four-team playoff? Now you're fighting. Now it's a dogfight. Now you don't got Iowa State and Kansas State every Saturday when you show up to the stadium. Now instead of Iowa State and Kansas State, you got Auburn and Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin and LSU if you don't go and Florida. And you know when you get to the SEC, that conference, they're going to want a return on their investment bringing you and Texas in. They ain't giving you Vanderbilt to start. They're probably sending you to Georgia. They're probably sending you to Bama. They're probably sending you to Texas A&M. They are sending you somewhere where they could get a return on their investment. And so if you're Lincoln Riley and you're sitting there and saying, wait a second now, we might be in the SEC as early as next year. We have been trying to build a roster to compete with these SEC teams, but we get time to figure stuff out during the regular season. And by the way, when they've gotten to the postseason, it hasn't been pretty. Four losses in the college football playoff for, Ohio, for Oklahoma, three of them to SEC teams. Could it be in Georgia, and their defense could have beaten Georgia. Lost to Bama with Kyler Murray. Bama was the much better team for most of that game. They rallied late because they had Kyler Murray, who is apparently a transcendent player. We didn't even appreciate it at the time, how good he was, especially how he's doing in the NFL. I know he's banged up right now, but you get the point. And then two years ago, they played LSU and got destroyed. And so if Lincoln Riley's like, dude, I couldn't compete with LSU two years ago. I, I got to go somewhere where I can get me more players. And the thing with Lincoln Riley that you have to consider, there's a couple things. One, it's been widely reported LSU wants somebody with an offensive background. That's why Jimbo Fisher remains so sexy because, because LSU fans, they lived through the Les Miles era. They got a taste of it with Joe Brady. Now they want that all the time. And so if you're Lincoln Riley, think about it like this. You're already getting all the best offensive skill talent in high school football. Caleb Williams, number one high school quarterback in America, committed to you in 2021. The number one quarterback in 2023 is committed to Oklahoma. You think that guy's committed to Oklahoma because he likes the Applebee's and Norman? No. He's committed to Oklahoma because he wants to play for Lincoln Riley. You think he wouldn't go play for Lincoln Riley if Lincoln Riley was coaching at Oklahoma, LSU, Nebraska, Akron, Washington? He'd go play for Lincoln Riley wherever. And so Lincoln Riley's like, I can get quarterbacks anywhere. By the way, in the transfer portal era, I could get me a quarterback. I could get a quarterback tomorrow. If I leave, I'm going to have the first choice of quarterbacks. And oh, by the way, I could even bring in Caleb Williams if I really wanted to. If I really wanted to get crazy, I could convince Caleb Williams to come wherever I go. On top of that, now you bring in the skill position talent that you're going to get at Oklahoma anyway, and you match it up with the defensive talent that you can recruit at LSU. Kind of feels like a no-brainer to me. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I know Lincoln Riley denied it. But when I look at this LSU situation, 
I actually think it makes a little sense. If you're Lincoln Riley and you're going to the SEC anyway, and you know that you could be there as early as next year, and you know you don't have a roster to compete, why not reset your clock? Why not go to a place where you're going to recruit elite defensive talent, and you're going to still go get the best wide receivers in the country, the best quarterbacks in the country? It makes too much sense to me. Not saying it's going to happen, not saying it's 100% there, but what I am saying is that from my perspective, it does make a ton of sense. Quickly, I do want to talk about three other candidates at LSU because I think we're starting to get some clarification on who's interested and who's not. The first name, and I don't think he's interested because I told you probably five weeks ago that I didn't think he was going to get the job, it's our buddy Mel Tucker at Michigan State. And before we get into the who, what, when, where, why, I'm, in, I'm curious in one thing. Did you guys see what Colin Cowherd, my buddy from Fox Sports Radio, tweeted out about Mel Tucker on Saturday? I think it was Saturday morning. Because if you did, I hope you thought one thing. I hope you thought, hmm, what Colin just said reminds me an awful lot of what my buddy Aaron Torres said on the Aaron Torres podcast about five weeks ago. And that's not a criticism of Colin. He's doing his homework like everybody else. He has his own sources. But what I will tell you is this. When the LSU job opened up about five weeks ago, remember, Coach O gets fired, and immediately we kind of know who the candidates are. Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, on and on and on and on and on. And at the time, I think a little bit of a surprising candidate was Mel Tucker, the head coach at Michigan State. At the time, I think they were 6-0. I think they were 7-0. They're playing really good football. And when his name got linked to that job, he had obviously coached there under Nick Saban. He has SEC ties. I decided to reach out to two people that I really trust in the state of Michigan. And the one thing I'll say is, in my career and my job, the one thing you do is you build up sources, you build up contacts over a period of time, over the period of your career. And these guys in Michigan, these people in Michigan that I talk to, I trust them implicitly. They've never led me wrong. They've never been wrong. Um... Anything to do with Michigan or Michigan State, men's basketball, football, I'm usually pretty on top of it. You can go back and listen to some of the stuff I was saying about Jim Harbaugh a year ago. I think I was ahead of the restructure contract and all that kind of stuff before a lot of people because, again, I'm fortunate enough to know smart people in Michigan that know what's going on. And so when Mel Tucker's name started getting linked to LSU, what did I tell you on this show? I said, I don't know if Mel Tucker is going to take the LSU job. If he does... I don't blame him because LSU is a better job than Michigan State. The last three coaches at LSU have won national championships, and the ceiling is undoubtedly higher at LSU than Michigan State. But what I did tell you was I said the bottom line is this. If Mel Tucker does leave Michigan State for LSU, it will not be over money. It will not be over dollars and cents. The one thing that my people in Michigan are telling me is this. Aaron, I don't know if he's leaving for LSU, but Michigan State will not be outbid for Mel Tucker. If it comes down to money, if it comes down to salary, if it comes down to assistant coaches pool, resources, facilities, whatever, Michigan State is willing to do whatever because two things. One, Big Ten TV contract. People think of the SEC as this monolith, and it is, the biggest TV contract going right now is the Big Ten. Now, is that going to change when Oklahoma and Texas get to the SEC? I think that's the plan. But right now, the Big Ten has the biggest TV contract. That is how Purdue can afford to pay $5 million a year or whatever it is to Jeff Brom. How Mel, uh, uh, P.J. Fleck gets paid millions and millions of dollars at Minnesota. How Brett Bielema is getting a ton of money while they're still paying a buyout to Lovey Smith at Illinois. The Big Ten is, has money hand over fist and money was never going to be an issue at Michigan State, especially 
with the fact that they also have as their primary booster Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who is also a Michigan State alum. That brings me to Colin Cowherd's tweet on Saturday, which said the following. Let's see if I can pull it up here really quick. This is what Colin tweeted. I'm told Mel Tucker and Michigan State are close to a new deal. Negotiations are friendly and moving quickly. This isn't Colorado. Michigan State is all in on football. Contract offer is huge. Reminder, Dan Gilbert is a billionaire alum. He and Matt Ishba all in. And so I bring all that up to just say, Sounds a lot like what we heard on the Aaron Torres podcast, right? Um, and again, it's not a criticism to Colin. He's doing his homework. He's doing his own thing, whatever. But I told you this five weeks ago. I told you that maybe he leaves, but ultimately that it will not be over money. It will not be over dollars and cents. And financially, Michigan State will do whatever it takes to keep him. I would say on top of that, we are now at the point where everything that I've heard combined with the Colin Cowherd tweet combined with a couple other things, I think it's now more likely that he stays at Michigan State than he leaves. First of all, again, not about the money. If LSU offers him $9 million a year, Michigan State will offer him nine one. If, if LSU offers him nine five, Michigan State will offer him nine seven. Does this end with Mel Tucker being the highest paid coach in college football? I don't know. But again, if LSU's first choice is Mel Tucker, he is going to have to choose LSU over something other than money. Two, what I would also say is, and I've heard this about a lot of candidates, I think the biggest single thing that is going for LSU is also something that is going to hurt them with some of these candidates, and that is that the positive of LSU is that the last three head coaches have won national championships there. Nick Saban, Les Miles, and Orgeron. The problem is two of those guys were fired, one of which was fired less than two years after he won a national championship. And so if you're Mel Tucker and you're going to make $8 million a year anyway, and you're going to be able to pay whatever you want for coordinators anyway, and your recruiting budget is through the roof, why not stay at Michigan State where you're appreciated, where you're happy, where you're accepted, as opposed to going to a place where they just fired a guy who won a national championship two, two and a half years ago? I know I'm just, uh, I'm just saying, that is the buzz about this job. I do think it's a little bit different for Lincoln Riley, where at some point he's going to have to start competing in the SEC against other SEC teams. So if you're sitting there saying, why doesn't that apply to Lincoln Riley? It's because Lincoln Riley is eventually going to end up in the SEC. Mel Tucker already might have the second best team in the Big Ten right now, maybe the best team if they beat Ohio State this weekend. And so why leave that for a place that just fired a coach 20 months after winning a national championship? Finally, what I would also say, what I heard about Mel Tucker, we're headed toward a world where at some point it's going to be a 12-team playoff. The second best team in the Big Ten is getting into a 12-team playoff every year. So it's not like you even have to overcome Ohio State. And so I think that may play a role in Mel Tucker deciding to stay at Michigan State, at least for now as well. Now you start to have a few bad years. You lose a coordinator. You maybe uh, whatever. I don't know. I can't even think of what could possibly happen. But that could all change. Or if you don't go to a 12-team playoff, do you reconsider if another great job opens up? But I'm just told that right now, I don't believe that Mel Tucker is really leaning towards LSU. The money is not going to be better than Michigan State. The path to the playoff is easier. Expectations are more realistic. And let me also add this. You also just never know what's going to happen in college football, right? I mean, James Franklin has one foot out the door at at Penn State. Could Penn State be looking for a new coach soon if he somehow gets USC, which we're going to talk about in a minute? Um, What about... Uh, what about, uh, you know, Ryan Day could go to the NFL at some point. Jim Harbaugh, you already own. So I just don't think Mel Tucker is a realistic candidate. I would also say, by the way, I don't really think Jimbo Fisher is a realistic candidate. I don't know if you guys saw his press conference the other day where he was asked again. My buddy Olin Buchanan from Texas Radio asked him a great question. He said, could you say with 100% certainty 
that you were going to be the head coach of Texas A&M? And what he basically said was one, he was like, basically like, look, you guys in the media all think us coaches are liars. Well, guess what? We as coaches think you and the media are liars. So that was funny. But then two, what was also interesting about it was this. Jimbo Fisher gave an awesome answer. He goes, guys, I'm recruiting a class. We might have the number one class in the country coming in next year. He didn't say the kid's name specifically, but they just signed the number one player. They got a commitment from the number one player in the country, Walter Nolan, a defensive tackle from Tennessee. Can't say the kid's name. He's not signed. And he goes, so you mean to tell me I'm going to recruit all those great players to Texas A&M. Then I'm going to go across the division, stay in the division, stay have to play those, all those good players next year. You must be out of your mind. So I don't believe that Jimbo Fisher is really a candidate either. I think the ties to Scott Woodward, I think he's going to have to listen. I can't see him leaving LSU for a job. I can't see him leaving Texas A&M for a job within the division. Um, I, I just I can't see it. Not right now, not in Jimbo Fisher's trajectory. He has everything he wants at A&M, a $9 million a year salary. Mike Elko is one of the highest paid coordinators in college football. They're having a ton of success. I know they just lost to Ole Miss. I don't believe that he's leaving. Finally, because somehow I went from eight minutes on LSU to now 30 minutes on LSU, let me just wrap by quickly saying this. I do believe that when it comes to the LSU job, there is one name. I don't think he's first. I don't think he's second. I don't even know if he's fifth. But there is one name that you're not going to get a no from, and that's Billy Napier. And this is another one. If you listen to this podcast, I was ahead of it, and I'm not giving myself too much credit. What I am just saying is, listen carefully, because more often than not, the stuff I say, it sounds crazy and ends up coming true. But what I told you about three, four weeks ago was, I noticed something interesting with Billy Napier. For people who don't know Billy Napier, he is the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. Don't call it Louisiana Lafayette. The Raging Cajuns, they're just the University of Louisiana. That's what they prefer to go by. And this guy is steamrolling group of five teams right now, okay? So two years ago, he goes 11-3. and three. Last year, he goes 9-1 and one in a COVID-shortened season, 10-1 and one with a bowl win, and then he's 9-1 and one this year with the only loss opening week of Texas, meaning that he is on a nine-game win streak coming into this week. And what I told you about three or four weeks ago is this. I said, Billy Napier is kind of an interesting guy. He's kind of quiet. He's cerebral. He's not kind of these one of these guys that's out there, yay, rah, rah, I'm doing every media availability that I possibly can. He's kind of one of those old school football guys. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not do distractions. We don't do it here. And I had frankly never really heard Billy Napier do very many interviews outside of a media, media availability that was required as part of the job. Then I know, and, and I should say something else about Billy Napier too. He is also a guy that, whether directly or indirectly, he has made it pretty clear, I am not going for second-tier jobs, okay? I am happy at Louisiana. I would love to stay here. I am only going to a place where I can compete at the highest level for national championships every year. There were reports that South Carolina was interested. He pulled his name out last year. Reports two years ago when Mississippi State hired Mike Leach that they were interested. He said thanks, but no thanks. Auburn, I heard he even was, they were a little bit interested. He said thanks, but no thanks. And so when he started about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever I started talking about it, I noticed all of a sudden this guy's doing a lot of interviews and all of a sudden he's doing a lot of interviews specifically with big Baton Rouge media personalities. And I told you, there's a great radio host in Baton Rouge named Jordy Collada. I've been on his show a few times. I don't know him well, but all of a sudden Billy Napier starts doing job and starts doing interviews on Baton Rouge radio. And I said, huh, that's a little weird. That's a little interesting. And to me, what that struck me as was that Billy Napier was hearing all these names thrown out for LSU. 
He's here in James Franklin. He's here in Lane Kiffin. He's here in Jimbo Fisher. He's here in Dabo Sweeney. Now he's here in Lincoln Riley. And I think that was kind of his way to just let everybody know, you know what? Let's pump the brakes. Just want you guys to know. Don't forget about the guy down in Louisiana Lafayette. Don't forget the guy down the road in Lafayette because that guy's pretty good too. And I told you, I said, there's a reason everybody does that. I said it with Lincoln Riley. There's a reason Lincoln Riley's name is out there. There's a, link, a reason Billy Napier's name is out there and why Billy Napier's all of a sudden starting to do all these interviews. It's because he got tired of seeing everybody else's name in, uh, you know, it, it, with, um, tired of seeing everybody else's name with link to these jobs. And so he said, screw it, I'm gonna start doing interviews. And so why do I bring it up? It's because about two or three days ago, same radio host, Jordy Collada, goes on his radio show. This is on YouTube, so this is no private information. It's all available to the public. It was obviously said on radio, and it was said on YouTube on Jordy Collada's show. Jordy Collada said that Billy Napier, and I'm not saying that he heard this from Billy Napier. I'm just saying that Billy Napier has let the administration know at LSU there is no job that is going to open up that he will accept until he knows what LSU is doing. Doesn't mean he's getting LSU. Doesn't mean he's their first choice. Doesn't mean if a really good job, if Florida somehow opens up, if whatever, that he wouldn't necessarily take it. But essentially, what he kind of said was like, look, I ain't taking anything other than LSU until I know that you guys aren't interested. And so I think that's an important place for LSU to be. I still believe they're vetting all sorts of candidates. I still believe Lincoln Riley could be in the mix. I still believe, heck, I'll take it a step further. I still believe that it's at least possible there are candidates that we still haven't heard about that could be interested in this job. But it's good for LSU to know very simply, if we want this guy, this guy is available. So what I would say to wrap on LSU, because I don't know how I went so long, Lincoln Riley I think is a factor. I think Mel Tucker's out. I think Jimbo Fisher is out. I think Billy Napier is in. So what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, promise to be faster on the USC, Florida, and Virginia Tech coaching searches, and uh, we'll do some other stuff. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, I do want to get to some of the rest of the coaching carousel stuff here momentarily. Little USC, a little Florida. Is Dan Mullen going to be able to keep his job? And I do actually want to hit on Virginia Tech, which opened Tuesday, and which is a very fascinating gig in its own right. But before we do, it's time to welcome back our favorite sponsor and your lady's favorite sponsor, too. They were with us in the spring through Father's Day. They are back for the holiday season. I'm, of course, talking about Manscaped, the global leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. That's right. This holiday season, fellas, join the more than 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Yes, I cannot believe it. Cannot believe I'm saying this, but holiday season is fast approaching. It is already the middle of November, and this holiday season, I am thankful for the new Performance Package 4.0, courtesy of Manscaped, and I am also thankful for the fact that Manscaped always takes care of listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. This year, it is no different. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TORRES at manscaped.com. Let me tell you a little bit about the Performance Package 4.0, fellas. You know that performance is everything, and there is nothing that is going to make you feel more confident about yourself when you show up at Thanksgiving when you show up at your office Christmas party, then the Performance Package 4.0, don't tell them why you're confident, don't tell them how you're confident, but we'll all know the truth. 
It's because of Manscaped. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Let me tell you about a few of those products individually. Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It also has a 4000K LED spotlight which you can flip on and off when you're needed for a more precise shave. Oh, and the best part? Take it in the shower. It's waterproof. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to trap your other weeds. Yeah, I'm talking about in your nose, in your ears. Fellas, that's gross. That's disgusting. You need the Weed Whacker 4.0. This ear and nose hair trimmer uses a 9,000 RPM motor power 360 degree rotary dual blade system to provide proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, cuts, snags, and lugs in those delicate areas. Also, can't forget to mention the Manscapes liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Toner Spray. When you're done shaving, you throw those on. Basically, think about it like this. After a good Thanksgiving dinner, what do you want? A little apple, apple pie, a little ice cream. This is basically apple pie and ice cream for down below for your lady. That's how good Manscaped is. And on top of that, here's the crazy part. Manscaped is also throwing in two free gifts from the Performance Package 4.0 the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. Here's the best part, and here's what's new this holiday season, which I'm so excited about. I've had a chance to sample both of these. Manscaped has been busy and just launched their refined body wash and two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner. Both feature the Manscaped signature scent and will help unlock your confidence this year. Basically, I got this package in the mail. I was like Dorothy in uh, The Wizard of Oz. Ball shaver, shampoo, body wash. Oh my. So this is what you got to do. Manscaped, it's the holiday season. By the way, I always say it, but ladies, you guys embarrassed? You go to manscaped.com too. This promo code works. You can knock out all your gifts in one spot. Get stuff for your husband. Get stuff for, uh, you know, whatever. Whoever other males are in your life. I'm not here to, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to ask, but manscaped.com, that's the whole deal. Go there. Use the promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping on your order again when you use the promo code TORRES. Guys, do it for yourself. Ladies, do it for, for your guys. Again, manscaped.com promo code TORRES gets you 20% off plus free shipping. As I always tell you, your balls will thank you, and I will thank you thanks to Manscaped. All right, I'm coming back. We'll talk more College Coaching Carousel. I promise, manscaped.com promo code TORRES. Do your boy a favor. Do yourself a favor, manscaped.com. All right, everybody, I am back, going to be back, going to be back, and I do want to get to some of the other stuff with the coaching carousel because obviously, look, we, we just spent an inordinate amount of time talking LSU, but at the same time, there is a lot of interesting movement that could happen in the coming days, weeks, and months on the college football coaching carousel. Some jobs are already open. Some jobs have been open for a while. Some jobs could open, and so let's start ripping through some of these. The first one, it is USC. And USC, to me, it's been linked to LSU since even before Coach O was fired. Coach O, ironically, coached at both of those schools. But it's been linked because those are two really elite jobs in college football. What I would say the fundamental difference between the two is, I have no doubt that LSU is going to get a home run hire. Scott Woodward has, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Lincoln Riley. I don't know if it's going to be Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, whatever. 
But I know they're going to get somebody really, really, really good. Scott Woodward has a 15-year track record of getting the guy or girl that he wants for the jobs that he wants. I already mentioned it, but Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Kim Mulkey at LSU, Chris Peterson at Washington, Buzz Williams from uh, at when he was that when he was at Texas A&M when Scott Woodward was the AD there, he hires Buzz Williams. So the point being. Scott Woodward has like a 15-year track record of nailing these hires. Mike Bone, the USC AD, is much more up and down. And as somebody that has lived in LA, USC just, it's almost like Texas of the West. Sometimes they just can't get out of their own way. And so while I think they made the right move by firing Clay Helton, while I think they made the right move by having plenty of time to vet all these candidates, I could see it going sideways if they don't get the guy that they want or the top guy or two that they want or if LSU makes a really splashy hire and then USC is playing catch up from there. But I do think since really the last time we've talked to USC, it's been a couple weeks. I think there's some movement in both the positive and negative way, candidates that are both rising and falling. So let's get into it because I do think there are two candidates that really over the last week or so, I think maybe last two, three weeks, are really starting to lose steam in in the USC search. So we'll start with the guys that are less likely to get the job now since we last spoke as opposed to the guy that I believe is more likely to get the job. In terms of candidates that are falling, the first one is probably pretty obvious. It's James Franklin. And what I would say on James Franklin, is what I always say on this stuff. Two things can be true. I think about five weeks ago, I think he was the no-doubt number one candidate. Penn State was in the top five in the country. They had beaten Wisconsin. They had beaten Auburn. They're rolling. And I think the thought was, as long as James Franklin doesn't make the playoff, he is going to be the USC head coach. On top of that, I believe that it's a job that he really covets. I think he wants to be in L.A. I think he sees himself as big city. I think he sees himself as a guy that can transcend the city. He won't be bigger than LeBron. He won't be bigger than Kawhi. He won't be bigger than Mookie Betts. He won't be bigger than Sean McVay. But he is the guy that can reinvigorate USC football. And I don't even know that I necessarily disagree with him. I think he'd be a good fit. I think he'd be smart. I think he'd be engaging. I think he'd recruit well. I think he'd do what you need to do at USC. The biggest problem with James Franklin he hasn't been very good the last five or six weeks. Penn State, as we record here, is now 6-4. and four. They just lost to Michigan. And really, the big loss in this whole season was the Illinois loss. That million overtime game, it's terrible. It's embarrassing. It shows how bad this overtime system is. But you can't lose to Illinois if you're trying to get a marquee job outside of Penn State. And it was interesting. They even talked about it on the broadcast. Like, Sean McDonough, to his credit, pulls no punches. And he basically said, look, if, if you are trying to get one of these jobs that you believe is better than Penn State, you got to start winning some of these games. And so I found it really interesting that they openly discussed it on the broadcast, but I think it's going to be hard for USC to sell even James Franklin with the success that he's had, one Big Ten title, uh, a couple major, B- uh, not BCS, uh, uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. I think it is going to be hard to sell James Franklin to the fan base. And what I would also say about USC is what I've been telling you for a while. Part of this hire is it does have to create some kind of buzz, okay? Now, the candidate I'm going to give you in a minute, I'm not saying he's the splashiest guy, but part of this job, this is not Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This isn't Norman, Oklahoma. This isn't Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You are going to have to sell you're going to have to sell the fan base before they walk up to the ticket window and put down their hard-earned money to come watch you play. Norman, Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, Penn State, Ohio State, you're going to get 100,000 people in that stadium no matter what. USC 
People have to be convinced before they're going to sell the, you know, come to the stadium. And so because of it, that would be part of my concern with James Franklin. Maybe he's the guy, maybe he's not the guy, but if half the fan base is out on the hire as soon as it, it happens, one, you're not selling any new season ticket packages, and two, it might still be hard to get people to the stadium even if the team is good. I do think that's a factor. I do think it's part of it, and right now I would say James Franklin is kind of tumbling down the list at USC. I still think it's possible. I think it gets less likely by the week, especially if they lose in two weeks to Michigan State, who they will play in East Lansing to close the season. I would also say, for completely different reasons, I think Luke Fickle's falling down this list fast, too. And Luke Fickle, of course, obviously has the ties to Mike Bone at uh, Cincinnati. I understand why that, that kind of connection was made, but there's a couple factors. One with Luke Fickle, I mean, the college football playoff is right there for the taking. They still need help, but look, if Oregon loses this weekend and they're an underdog to Utah, that's one less team you got to worry about. If... Michigan and Ohio State are going to lose. Somebody's going to end up with two losses. If Alabama loses to Georgia or to somebody else, I mean, it's not inconceivable that Luke Fickle could, could make the college football playoff. And if he does, there is going to be, you're not going to be able to hire him coming off of a college football playoff appearance. And even if you could, that means that he's not available essentially until January 2nd, 3rd, 4th of 2021 or 2022, excuse me. You can't wait that long. You can't wait that long in the new era of recruiting. USC just lost their top commitment in their class, Damani Jackson, who decommitted this week. Uh, all signs point to him going to Alabama. You cannot wait until the middle of January to name a new football coach. It has to be soon. It has to be pressing. It has to be urgent. And because of that, I think Luke Fickle is out. The other thing I would just say about Luke Fickle is, is this as well. I just don't think he fits L.A. You know how I said a minute ago that James Franklin, he feels L.A., come to L.A., yell, scream, kind of do the Bruce Pearl, paint his chest? Like, I could see James Franklin doing that. I can't see Luke Fickle doing that, man. He's Midwest through and through. I've talked about it. He spent all but one year of his life in Ohio. He has six kids. He has this biggest state out there in Ohio. Uh, my understanding is he's got like a built-in indoor basketball. Like he's got a huge chunk of property. He's happy there. And it's not to say that he wouldn't leave for another job. Maybe Penn State, ironically, if James Franklin leaves. Maybe Notre Dame, certainly Ohio State if that job opens up. I don't think that USC makes sense for him. I would even argue maybe a LSU makes more sense for Luke Fickle than USC, even with the fact that USC's AD once hired Luke Fickle. So to me, that one is feeling less and less likely as well. What I would also say, there is one candidate that feels like he's a lot more likely than he was five, six weeks ago, and it is Dave Aranda, the head coach at Baylor. And it's really interesting because I talked about Dave Aranda about three, four weeks ago when it pertained to LSU, but the more that I think about Dave Aranda, the more that I hear about him, the more people that I talk to, I actually think USC is probably a little bit more realistic for Dave Aranda than LSU is. Um, one, first of all, it's important to note, and this is an important part, Baylor's playing really good football right now. Eight and two in his second year, it is clear that he has built a culture, he has built an identity, they play real defense, and they just beat Oklahoma. That's already a better selling point than anything James Franklin has right now. And frankly, Luke Fickle even, I guess you could say outside of the Notre Dame game, uh, Luke Fickle doesn't have as much to sell as Dave Aranda does. Two, he is from Southern California. I think we think of him as kind of Midwest because he coached at Wisconsin and he's kind of Southern because he coached LSU. He was the defensive coordinator on the national championship team. But he is actually from Southern California. His family is still in Southern California. My understanding, I read Bruce Feldman reported this. I had not seen this previously. It's not really reporting, but I had not seen this previously. Bruce Feldman said that his, his 
brother is actually a high school coach in the area. I don't remember if it was football or not, but basically his family is still in LA. On top of that, what I would also say is my understanding and talking to people who know him, he's kind of a cerebral guy and he's kind of a big picture, big thinker. And in the same way, about four or five years ago, Chip Kelly kind of looked at the Florida situation and said, you know what? I could go to the SEC, but man, that is a crazy fishbowl. I think I'm better suited for for Southern California. I think Dave Aranda has lived the SEC life. He coached a couple years as LSU's defensive coordinator, and I think he realizes the SEC might just not be for me. I'm not one of these crazy personalities like uh, like Mike Leach. I, I'm not whatever, and it might just not be the right place for me to go right now to go to the SEC, where USC, yes, there's a, yes, it's a pressure cooker. Yes, they expect you to win, but at the same time, you're going to be given more time. The fan base isn't as crazy. Um, you don't have to be the biggest celebrity in town. We just talked about it with James Franklin. James Franklin wants to be the biggest celebrity in town. I think Dave Aranda wants the exact opposite, and I think that's why USC makes sense for him. And what I would finally say is from a football perspective, I think Dave Aranda makes a lot of sense as well. The thing I keep going back to with USC Every time I watch them play, there is no doubt that the talent is there, but that the talent is just undisciplined. I mean, it is penalties, dumb mistakes, out of position, uh, late hits. I mean, you name it, they're just, they just look so bad. When you watch them, you're just like, how is this a real football team? This is embarrassing. What is going on here? And when you watch a Dave Aranda coach team, it's the opposite. Again, I've talked about him as it pertains to the LSU job, but he is a guy that is all about culture. He's all about accountability. When he was at LSU, he was kind of the good cop to Coach O's bad cop. He was the kind of guy that players could rely on. But when it was time to get between the white lines, he he expected you to deliver and he expected you to play a certain way. And that is transitioning to Baylor, where again, in year two, he's eight and two. They play at Kansas State this weekend and close at Texas Tech. At worst, I think they finish nine and three. They could be 10 and two. And realistically, I think they could potentially be playing in the Big 12 championship game, depending on what happens in the coming weeks with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And so to me, the Southern California ties, the fact that he's the right fit, the fact that kind of culturally he makes sense and he kind of understands what that program is about. I actually think Dave Aranda is starting to move up that ladder while James Franklin and Luke Fickle are moving down. And I'll finally say this, you don't get Dave Aranda, I don't really know where you go because I don't see anybody outside of maybe James Franklin, who's very likely going to finish 7-5, and five. I don't see that obvious fit at USC. All right, so let's switch gears now and kind of wrap on a couple other schools. And what I will do now is I'll actually talk about a school that I actually think is going to keep their head coach, because we've spent a lot of time about LSU, which fired Coach O. They have been in the process of looking for a new coach for I don't know what, five weeks now, four weeks now, something like that. USC even longer. We're going on two plus months since Clay Helton has been fired. But I do think that while it's fun to talk about these big, bold jobs, who are they going to get? Who can they get? Who's not interested? I do think there are some other schools that actually are not planning on opening up this year. And in case of the one that I want to talk about right now, actually hope they don't have to. And that's the Florida Gators. And and it's definitely, it, look, it goes without saying it's been an up and down probably five, six, seven weeks for Florida. Obviously, you start out 2-0, and you lose to Alabama, but you play competitively, and everybody thinks everything's going to be fine. Then all of a sudden, you look up, you've lost four out of five games going into last week against Sanford, you barely beat Sanford, you give up 52 points, and it's a debacle. But I do think as I peel back the layers on this one, 
as I think about the situation, as I think about how it pertains to other situations similar to this, I actually think that Florida wants to stick with Dan Mullen for another year. I'm not saying it's going to happen if they lose their next two games. They still have a game at Missouri this weekend before Florida State comes to Gainesville the final weekend of the season. I'm not saying that Dan Mullen might not look for another way out if he's not happy with the situation there. But I do think, as weird as it sounds, when you give up 52 points to Sanford, I actually think that if all goes well, if all goes to plan, I think that Florida wants to keep this guy for another year. Let's start with the AD because I do think that's a factor here. Again, uh, you know, one thing I've learned in doing this, and I talk to people all over college sports all the time, to understand what a school wants to do, you have to understand the AD, right? Scott Woodward, I just talked about him a second ago at LSU. He's aggressive. He's big. He's bold. He's innovative. Scott Strickland, who is the AD at Florida, is known as the opposite. He's cerebral. He takes his time. He, uh, I don't, I don't want to say well thought out because that implies that other guys and girls are not well thought out. But this is not a guy that reads message boards, that overreacts, that is going to make any type of rash decision. And so I think that's a factor here. Is I don't think he wants to make this move. And it's also worth noting that Dan Mullen was in fact his guy in his hire. And I do think that stuff matters. Whereas with, uh, you know, with with, uh, with Coach O over there at LSU. Like, that was, not, uh, that was not the hire of Scott Woodward at LSU. Scott Woodward wants to come in. He sees a broken program. He wants to put his own stamp on it. Same with Mike Bone at USC. He's, it's clear that Clay Helton isn't the answer. He takes his time. He thinks it through, decides ultimately that he has to move on from Clay Helton. Well, in terms of Scott Strickland, he's been there now for five years, since 2016. He hired Dan Mullen. And if Dan Mullen doesn't succeed, two things. One, that is a reflection on Scott Strickland, the AD. And two, and this is the more important one, if you hire the wrong guy again, Scott Strickland, you're going to be out of a job. You're going to be out of that very high-paying job that pays over a million dollars a year to be Florida's AD. And so I bring that up to say, part of this is I don't think the AD wants to make the move because the AD knows if I don't get the next one right, I'm out of here, and I'm back to going to making 250 k which for most of us would be a great living, but when you're used to making a million dollars a year as Florida's AD, I think that's part of it. I think, he wa- I think he is going to give Dan Mullen more time because he wants Dan Mullen to succeed, whereas the guys at USC, the guys at LSU, they don't really care if the last guy said, they didn't bring in Ed Orgeron, they didn't bring in Clay Helton. Let me go get my guy and let me put my stamp on this program. It's also worth noting, I think Dan Mullen has quietly done a good job of over the past few weeks kind of figuring out, you know what, I kind of got to play this political game. I might not like the dumb questions about recruiting that really aren't that dumb, but I got to answer them. Um, I don't want to fire my assistant coaches in the middle of the season, but somebody has to take the fall. And I do think that this is part of it. I think Dan Mullen weirdly bought himself a little bit of time by firing Todd Grantham, the defensive court, who is the defensive coordinator, and his offensive line coach a few weeks ago. Because just think about it. What was the argument about Dan Mullen? What was I talking about on this show? What was every national person or person who covers college football talking about? Dan Mullen's stubborn. Dan Mullen doesn't get it. Dan Mullen isn't willing to make the changes that he knows he has to make. Well, now he can go to his AD and he can go to his fan base and say, look, you guys told me the defense stinks. I can see it. I made the change. Wait till you see who we're going to hire this offseason. The O-line's not getting the job done. We're going to bring in somebody else. We're going to revamp recruiting. I'm telling you, these are things that Dan Mullen is going to say publicly over the next few weeks, but he's certainly going to say them privately to his AD. And I think the process has already started. I think you can even go back to that Sanford game the other day 
and you can criticize Florida for a lot of things. They win 70 to 52, not a football, not a basketball game. It was a football game. But what Dan Mullen's going to say to his AD is, look, I'm the offensive guy. My offense delivered 70. Give me the offseason. I'll get the right guy, whether he actually will or not. I don't think it really matters. I think that's what he's going to tell his AD is that you got to trust me to make the hire. You got to give me this offseason to get the defense right. We're going to revamp recruiting. We are going to get the right people in. And I think finally, when it comes to the Dan Mullen situation at Florida, I think part of this, beyond the fact that I don't think the AD wants to make the move, beyond the fact that Dan Mullen's finally starting to play the political game, the important part that I think can't be understated I don't think the school was in a position to, I don't even think they were expecting to make a hire. I know they weren't expecting to make a hire, and I think they're just completely unprepared to go into this coaching market. In a lot of ways, this reminds me of what happened at Michigan last year with Jim Harbaugh. And I just talked about Michigan, Michigan State, Mel Tucker a minute ago. I told you that I was on top of that Michigan thing, and I know people in Michigan, and I am telling you part of the reason that Jim Harbaugh was able to survive a 2-4 and four season last year is because one, he's an alum, one, he built up equity, but two, they just had no plan that they were actually going to have to hire a coach, and they had no way of turning around a productive, useful coaching search in such a short amount of time. Think about it from Michigan's perspective last year. You can criticize Harbaugh for a lot. Can't win the big one. Can't beat Ohio State. But... He was also coming off his fourth nine-win season in five years and his fifth eight-win season going into last year. And so, yeah, you're Michigan. Yeah, you want to beat Ohio State, but you're still sitting here saying, this is our guy. This is what we're going to have to deal with going forward. And there's no reason to think that you're going to have to fire him at the end of the year. Then he goes two and four, and you realize, oh, my God, this thing completely went off the rails. Credit to Michigan. Credit to Jim Harbaugh. They met in the middle. He gave back salary. He revamped his staff. And now the roster is awesome. But I'll be honest. I think if Jim Harbaugh had stuck his toes in the ground and said, I'm not giving up a dollar, I think if the administration had, uh, you know, there were a lot of circumstances that led to Jim Harbaugh getting an extra year, but I kind of think one of them was the administration just wasn't ready to go into a coaching search, and I think that's a lot of what Florida's dealing with right now. I mean, when it comes to USC, when it comes to LSU, they went into the season knowing we are probably going to have to get rid of the guy that we have right now. Don't want to, hope he succeeds, hope we win 11 games, hope we go to the college football playoff, but we have a track record that this guy is probably not going to get the job done and that we are going to have to make a change. I guarantee you, even though I don't know it for a fact, there were feelers already starting to go out for LSU probably in June, July, August of who could potentially be interested if this thing goes sideways. And then when it did go sideways, both schools acted quick. They said, get this guy out of here. Let's get our new guy in. Well, in Florida, again, it was like five or six weeks ago that they barely lost to Alabama. They lost 31-29 and missed a two-point conversion at the end of the game that would have tied it and sent it to overtime. They win that game. That's one of the biggest wins of the season. Instead, they lose, and now Florida's going into this season thinking, we're going to be awesome. We barely lost to Alabama. We almost beat Alabama. Then what happens? They completely fall apart. And so you add it all up, and I just don't think Florida had any intention of going into a coaching search. They're behind the eight ball, and it's not to say that they couldn't get a good candidate, but these things take time. These things take legwork. These things take groundwork. These things take calls after calls after calls. And so I bring all this up to just say, I'm not saying that if Florida loses its next two games that Dan Mullen goes five and seven that he might not be out. I'm not saying that Dan Mullen is going to try to figure out a way to get somewhere else, whether it's some other coaching job in college, which I can't imagine, or the NFL. 
But what I am just saying is I think that administration at Florida is praying that Dan Mullen wins his last two games, that they go 7-5, and five, and that they give him a boatload of cash and say, Dan Mullen, go fix your staff. You got one more year to figure it out. Really quickly, by the way, I would say in terms of schools that I think are going to stick with their coach, uh, Miami, interesting move at Miami. Talk about all over the place today, by the way. LSU, USC, Florida, Miami. Miami fired its AD on Monday afternoon, and I did a big video on this on YouTube, so you guys can go check out the extended thoughts there. But Miami, I don't believe, wants to move off. I think they want to move off Manny Diaz. I just don't see it happening this year. Not in a situation where, think about it, there is no AD in place in the middle of uh, November. You'd have to hire somebody pretty quick to make a move this year. When it comes to Miami, I think they're firing the AD now so they can get the new AD in place and give him time to evaluate the program, evaluate the field, get some money kind of uh, from the right places in the right places and get ready to make a move at this time next year. I'm telling you, I live in L.A. It reminds me a lot of what happened when Mike Bone took over at USC two years ago where uh, you know there was thought that he was going to fire Clay Helton right when he got the job. Instead, he gave him another year. Then COVID happened, so Clay Helton actually got two extra years. But I just bring it up to say uh, I don't think Manny Diaz gets moved this offseason. Finally, Last call, you talk about, I mean, find you a show that's doing like 50 minutes on the college football coach carousel like the Air Torres Sports Podcast is. But let's wrap with the, I would argue, one of the more interesting jobs that has opened up this offseason as we got yet another coaching job opening on Tuesday after, Tuesday morning when Virginia Tech fired Justin Fuente. And what I would say as we get into this Justin Fuente thing and we start to wrap the show here is a couple things. One, this is one of the few ones that actually was expected coming into the season, right? It's so funny to think about this stuff, but you look at what happened at Washington with Jimmy Lake being let go in year two. You look at the fact that Coach O was removed two years after winning a national championship, that somehow we're talking about Dan Mullen. Justin Fuente was a guy at Virginia Tech that it was believed that it was going to take a special season for him to keep his job, and there was actually real talk that he might not have saved his job last year because this program has kind of gone in the wrong direction under his watch. Ten wins the first year, nine wins the second year. Year three, he goes six and seven. Year four, he goes eight and five. Last year in COVID, he goes five and six. This year, he is five and five, and he gets the ax. What I would tell you about this job Again, I think it's one of the more interesting jobs in college football because it doesn't have necessarily the brand cachet of USC or LSU or even Florida, but I think it is it has the chance to be an absolute giant in college football, and I don't even think you can call it a sleeping giant because it has been uh, you can't call it a sleeping giant because they've had success in recent years. This is more like a dormant giant, a, a dormant giant, a dormant volcano that could erupt. Virginia Tech is a program we don't talk about on this show because they've stunk, but they have everything in place to be a consistent 10-win winner, 10-10-win program, and potentially in any given year compete for the college football playoff. First of all, they have a history of success. This ain't going to, uh, to Washington State and hoping to basically be the first guy to have any sustained success. They have competed for national championships. They have competed for 10-win seasons. Uh, and in, a 14, in, in an era with a 14 playoff, if Frank Beamer was there during a 14 playoff, there would have been a few years where they competed in a 14 playoff, including 1999 when they played for a national championship. So there just flat out aren't that many places that you can go 
and realistically believe that the ceiling is 10-11 wins competing for the college football playoff, this is one of them where, as I said, Frank Beamer, multiple years where he would have finished in the top you know, two, three, four in the country and had a chance to compete for a college football playoff berth. The second thing, the recruiting in the DMV area, uh, DMV is Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. It is off the chain, and that's how Frank Beamer built the program. Great recruiting base, great area. Somebody is going to get this job, and if the right person gets it, they're going to start signing top 10, top 15 classes. Um, I think it matters the fact that it's in the ACC. The fact that we're waiting for that second team to emerge in the ACC. And so again, we talked about Billy Napier a minute ago, and we'll talk about him again. If you're someone like Billy Napier, do you want to go somewhere like South Carolina, Mississippi State, and potentially be the sixth, seventh, eighth best job? In a, in a conference, by the way, where like three, four programs really have it rolling, Georgia really has it rolling, Alabama really has it rolling, AM really has it rolling? Or do you want to go to a conference where it's basically Clemson and then there's 14 other teams trying to figure the, the you-know-what out, uh, and even Clemson's a little bit on, on a downturn. And so I think there's three jobs in the ACC that, if they have the right person in place, can potentially compete with Clemson for an ACC championship, for a spot in the college football playoff. Those are Miami, those are Florida State, those are Virginia Tech now open. And I would also say on top of that, it's worth noting that as we go to a 12-team playoff, there is absolutely no reason that you can't finish in the top 12 in any given season. I'm looking at Frank Beamer's Wikipedia page right now. If there had been a 12-team playoff, he finished in the top 12 in college football five years at Virginia Tech. They would have made the playoff in those years. So with that said, I think it's a dormant volcano of a job, not a sleeping giant, a dormant volcano. And I think they're going to have a really good run of potential candidates. I think there's a lot of candidates that have been waiting for a job like this to open, that have been waiting for this opportunity. And if they get the opportunity, I think they're going to jump on it. The first one, how about friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach at Coastal Carolina. This is, if you don't know much about this guy, he appeared on this show back in August. He's awesome. He's dynamic. He's funny. He's got the mullet. And oh, by the way, he's got an offense that is absolutely steamrolling everybody, averaging over 40 points per game. Uh, They're in the top 15 nationally in total offense, and it is a run-based offense that just puts up yards after yards after yards, currently in the top 10 nationally in rushing. It's also worth noting, you know, he's rolling at Coastal Carolina. Last year, they finished 11-1. This year, they're 8-2. They had an undefeated regular season last year. And this year, by the way, they're 8-2, and two, but their starting quarterback just got hurt. Otherwise, they'd be 9-1. and one. And so I look at Jamie Chadwell. He's been waiting for the right opportunity. I think this could be it. I know I've had him on the podcast. I've never really asked him about jobs, but this would be a job that makes sense. He's right in the area in South Carolina. He doesn't have to go too far. The recruiting base is there. I think he'd be really successful. Speaking of guys that are right in the area, and speaking of guys that are friends of the Aaron Torres podcast, I also think Hugh Freeze has to be in the mix. You know, Hugh Freeze, listen, at some point, somebody is going to give him an opportunity at the Power 5 level, and at some point, somebody is going to smart, look smart doing it. Um, you just look at the situation at with what he has done as a college football coach. Yes, there were rules violations. None of them were involved him. Um, and yes, he had personal issues, but he has also been back in college football for a few years now, and he is rolling towards another successful season. Year one at Liberty, that was their first year at the FBS level. Remember, as he said on this show, he had a roster that was built to compete at the FCS level. 
Year one, he goes eight and five. Last year, he goes 10 and one. This year, he's seven and three, but that seven and three is a little bit deceptive. They lost at Syracuse. They lost at Ole Miss, two power five programs. And it's also worth noting, by the way, that even, even with that, um, he's still trending towards a potential nine and three season uh, in year three. It's also worth noting he's had success at the highest level. And it goes back to, I don't know why these SEC schools don't go after him because he's one of only three guys in college football that has had any success at all against Nick Saban. I always throw out this stat. Three coaches currently in college football with more than one win against Nick Saban. Dabo Sweeney, Gus Malzahn, and Hugh Freeze. The guy can coach, and as he said on this show, he's never really been at a place where he has had the advantage talent-wise, and he's had to out-scheme everybody. I mean, Ole Miss, with all due respect to Ole Miss and any Ole Miss fans that listen, they never had the talent that Alabama did, and he beat them twice. Uh, they didn't have the talent of a lot of other schools in the SEC that he had success against as well. He went to two New Year's Six Bowl games, two Sugar Bowls, or one Sugar Bowl and one Peach Bowl in back-to-back seasons. This guy built a monster at Ole Miss, sent him to Virginia where he knows the recruiting base. I'm telling you, he is going to have a ton of success. Third guy, I think it's Billy Napier, and we talked a lot about him with LSU. We won't spend too much time on him because we've spent way too much time talking coaching carousel. Um, but what I would just say about Billy Napier is this. He has been waiting for a job where, as I said, he can compete for conference championships, he can compete for national championships, and I think this is the job for him. It's also worth noting he kind of has an older team. He's got a lot of super seniors, guys that are back for a fifth or sixth season because of the COVID year, and this feels like the year to get out. They're currently 9-1. and one. As I told you a minute ago, he won 10 games last year and 11 games the year before. This week they play Liberty, so a little bit of a weird audition maybe for this job. But I'm just telling you, he is a guy that you give him one of these Power 5 jobs, he's been waiting for the right one. And if he doesn't get LSU, and as I said before, it appears for all intents and purposes that he is waiting for LSU to open it, or to, for, to see what LSU does, this might be the next best thing. Because you can go be the second, third, fourth uh, guy in the SEC, SEC West, whatever. Or you can go have a chance to compete for ACC championships in the ACC. And I'm telling you, you obviously win ACC championships. You are going to put yourself in position to compete for college football playoff bursts and maybe eventually national championships. Two other candidates really quick. I do think Dave Clawson, the head coach at Wake Forest, is really, really, really interesting. Um, Dave Clawson's an interesting character because of the following. Dave Clawson is interesting because he is at Wake Forest. They are 9-1 this year, and they are actually a small underdog this week against Clemson. And so if this guy goes 9-1 at Wake Forest, maybe 10 wins next week, and he still can't get past Clemson, there's a ceiling at Wake Forest, just like there's a ceiling at Baylor with Dave Arand, and there's a ceiling at a lot of these jobs, and this might be the year where he decides, you know what, it's just time for me to try something different because this is not, uh, I can't do better than what I just did at Wake Forest. It's also worth noting, um, you know, Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech would give him a better recruiting pool to recruit to. I think that matters. And what I would finally say with him is I think it could work against him as well, the fact that he's 54 years old. Does he just decide that, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm not up for another rebuild. I want to retire at Wake Forest. I'm a Wake Forest lifer. This is where I want to be. I don't know, but he is a name I'd call because if you can win 10 games at Wake Forest, which he's about to do this year, you can win the ACC at Virginia Tech. Final name is probably the most obvious one. Uh, it is our old buddy, not really our old buddy, I don't really talk about him, Shane Beamer, the head coach at South Carolina. He is, of course, the son of legendary Virginia Tech head coach Frank Beamer. 
Um, and this is one where I'll be blunt. I don't think it's the right move for Virginia Tech to call him. He's in his first year at South Carolina. Um, he's doing really well. I think they have the second least talented roster in the SEC behind only Vanderbilt. And he's 5-5. Five and five. He's got two games left. This week against Auburn, next week against Clemson. He wins one of them. He's going to a bowl game in year one. Um, but I just think he's young, and I don't think he can ever live up to what his father did at Virginia Tech. That's no discredit to him, but he's going to have unfair expectations, unrealistic expectations. And so for him, if I was him, I would stay at South Carolina. If I was Virginia Tech, I would very politely tell him, we love you, we love your family, but it's probably best if you just stay away. So those are my five candidates for Virginia Tech. They are Jamie Chadwell, Hugh Freeze, Dave Clawson, Billy Napier, and Shane Beamer. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast, guys. I'm telling you, I didn't think I'd go this. I, I know I talk a lot. I did not think I would go this long just on coaching candidates. I was going to do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, but this feels like a good place to end. Obviously, I should mention, by the way, there is one piece of noteworthy college basketball news. I hit on it at the top. Paulo Bancaro, I already hit on it. Uh, my thoughts were already shared there. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. My college football picks go up every Wednesday at Aaron Torres Online. Obviously more college hoops, especially next week when I will be at UCLA Gonzaga Duke Gonzaga later in the week. So I'll have more college hoops, but today was a little bit of a light college hoops day. So with that said... I think it's time to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to Dave Aranda and shout out to Dan Mullen and shout out to all of the fine gentlemen that I talked about on this show. 45 minutes of coaching carousel goodness. I hope you guys enjoyed. I will be back soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.